Miss the show, no worries, on point and on the podcast. The Canadian border will allow everybody to come into this country by September, including our American friends by August 9th. But why is this not a reciprocal deal? Why don't we have details on why Canadians can't travel across to our neighbours? We'll talk about that. Millions of people going through Pearson Airport may have been under watch of a secret surveillance program the Trudeau government launched in 2016 to ID potential deportees. Not only is this technology deeply flawed, but the practice is illegal and breaches charter rights. So why was it kept so secret? And the woman who wrote one of the country's most famous anthems has passed, and she barely got a lot of recognition, let alone paid for her bona fide hit. Well, let's get talking. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. At this time, they've not yet made a decision. Um, they, they anticipate their current measures will likely be rolled over on, on July 21st. They are obviously considering um, additional uh, m- uh, measures and, and data, uh, but at the present time, they have not indicated a, a, a plan to, to make any, any changes in their current border restrictions that are in place. New border measures shortchange Canadians, but hey, it gets Trudeau's election monkey off his back. Alex Pierce with you on this Monday, July 19th. Hello there. Good to have you here for the ride. And uh, here we go, starting a brand new work week, following a week, and that was kind of normal. Kind of. Ended up going to a movie for the first time in 16 months. And I think a lot of people are scared to come inside because it was like a rainy day and uh, theaters should have been packed. And yet we were about the only ones in there, which uh, surprised me a bit. But it was good to do something just normal, albeit wearing a mask inside a theater for two hours just sucks. That is something I will never get used to. So I look forward to when that is not a thing. It will be, right? UK certainly uh, is making it a known thing. Uh, they're celebrating Freedom Day, so they've dropped all restrictions, including indoor masking, no more distancing, no more limits on those who can get together. And of course, this is while you know cases are going up sharply for the first time in a in a long time. But they don't care. There, they are packing into clubs, they're going to pubs, uh, going to sporting events, and living life. Whether or not this will be sh- short change, I don't know. But today was their Freedom Day. Meanwhile, I think here at home, the freedom a lot of us were really hoping for, uh, I think it comes up way short, and it certainly doesn't add up. It just reeks of politics, because the Trudeau government comes out today with this grand announcement that come August 9th, fully American, uh, fully vaccinated Americans can come across the border, and permanent residents living in the U.S. can also come across and no longer have to do that completely ineffectual, uh, made-up two-week quarantine. They'll have to get a negative test before coming in. But if I understood the announcement right, checking those tests is now going to be done randomly. So a few questions arise for me. Uh, Why can it not be sooner than August 9th? I mean, why is it that border towns have to wait even longer? We're still talking, what, two and a half weeks, three weeks. Can we not, not, not lose a whole second tourist season? And why was there absolutely zero information on why the border remains closed Uh, Canadians crossing into the United States because American governors sure have been stomping their feet. They want the borders open. 
And so you wonder, wait, why was this not a reciprocal deal? And the ministers were asked, you know, several times today, why can't we cross? And why does this imbalance remain? And no one could, or more precisely, would answer the question. And the, uh, you know, the borders have been never been closed this long, ever. This is our biggest, closest partner. And um, it's always been clear that the border measures have been a joke since day one. And no one today in charge could explain why the U.S. is going to keep Canadians shut out at a time when our case counts are lower and vaccination rates are higher. But, you know, the, the Minister Blair, Bill Blair, was asked a couple of times, you know, why would we agree to a partial border reopening with absolutely no guarantee that rules will be lifted for Canadians? There's nothing about this. It's embarrassing. We're introducing measures that are appropriate and, and appropriately cautious uh, to protect Canadians and, and to, to begin a very careful uh, phased reopening of our border. We work very closely with, with our American counterparts. We make our decisions based on the advice of our scientific experts and the situation as it evolves in Canada. Um, and, and we do that in the best interest of Canadians. Mm-hmm. Best interests of Canadians or the best interests of the Trudeau government's political fortunes? Which is it? I mean, it's great. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad the Americans can come across. But with no guarantees that Canadians will be able to cross over, I mean, it looks weak and it looks political. And the ministers kept saying, well, today news will come out. News will be out soon, I'm sure, on the United States. Okay, when? I, current restrictions, as you look at them now, they expire July 21st. So... If any deal had been struck, if any deal had been worked out, you'd think that the Trudeau government would have waited to make this announcement so that Canadians could get a more complete message. I mean, my guess is that there is no announcement coming from the United States. hope I'm wrong about that, but I don't think there's an announcement coming. And polling in this country suggests that Canadians are absolutely fed up with border closures and not being able to do business travel and not being able to see family. And so it seems pretty clear today that Trudeau wants to get the Canadian side open so that come election time, this political border monkey gets off his back. And I think we should be very clear on that. This is a very one-sided deal that doesn't benefit Canadians. I mean, we're only allowing American tourists to start coming in August 9th. And then international travelers, they, they can come in by September 9th. So again, the tourist season and any you know, any possibility of salvaging it is going to be completely lost. And then the other question the Trudeau government refused to answer is, you know, is the United States government going to recognize those who got the AstraZeneca shot or those who mixed shots? Will these people, will we be considered fully vaccinated? We've already heard stories from people being refused entry to countries that do not approve certain vaccine shots. And can you imagine what a bad look it will be if we find out that the U.S. is going to refuse entry to Canadians who took vaccines that this government told us to take, but won't get the stamp of approval by our neighbors? And again, they refused to answer that question. It was very vague. And I say all of this, of course, fully knowing that the border restrictions have been an absolute joke since day one, because there are so many loopholes, you know, where thousands continuously by the day get over the border and that's why today's charade looks like a charade to me an election friendly announcement that does very little for canadians but it sure does allow trudeau to grandly proclaim you know another covid win 
So I'm not buying what Trudeau's selling. Because if he's Biden's BFF and we're opening up the borders, then it would have been a grand gesture between two allies fronted by Mr. Trudeau himself. And instead, Trudeau was not today at the announcement. No, no, no. He was very busy campaigning in vote-rich Brampton making housing announcements. Housing announcements for housing that will never be built. It's only announced, never built. Because everything and anything this government says or does these days, all of it is about getting your vote for an election they state they do not want. There is no sincerity. What's your point? You just don't ever get the point. By getting through to you, that's the point. Do you understand? There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Listening. All right, great to have you here on this Monday. So if there's nothing to hide, then why was it hidden? That's the question we should be asking ourselves. Because we're just learning now about a secretive program that the Trudeau government launched back in 2016 at Pearson Airport, a six-month initiative called, quote, Faces on the Move. And it was meant to pick out people that the Canada Federal Services Agency suspected might be trying to enter the country using fake ID. And thousands of travelers were photographed without their consent or knowledge. Uh, it isn't clear if any were actually deported, but the point is they weren't told that they were under surveillance, which is a breach of our rights. And you may recall that the RCMP, the OPP, Toronto Police, and 40 other uh, Canadian entities have used this kind of artificial intelligence it's called Clearview AI, which captures images of people and then matches it to people through algorithms. But this is a company that was forced to pull out of the country following an outcry over privacy concerns and because the technology is faulty and often targets and mistaken ethnic people uh, and misdiagnoses or misrepresents who they are. And pretty much back in February, the Federal Privacy Commissioner bluntly stated that the service amounted to mass surveillance and was illegal. So it begs the question, why was the Trudeau government using it? Ann Kavukian, Dr. Ann Kavukian, is the former Privacy Commissioner for Ontario and currently the Executive Director of the Global Privacy and Security by Design Centre. She joins us now. Good to have you. Thank you. What is your um, initial reaction to, to the government doing this kind of program secretly? Oh. I am just appalled. I mean, truly, you've heard the, the thoughts, the views of the Federal Privacy Commissioner and many others, especially they're using Clearview AI's technology. This is so sh shocking. Clearview AI basically slurped 3.3 billion facial images from social media sites, Facebook, etc., without any consent, of course, or notice being given to those individuals. So the database that they have of facial images is completely outrageous anyway. And then for the federal government to hire them to use their services to try to find people who are coming into the country illegally without any notice or consent, see, what drives me crazy as well is that this, this methodology, facial recognition, is highly faulty. Uh, in the UK, where they have cameras everywhere and they've done a lot of tests on facial recognition, the accuracy of it or lack thereof, 81% false positive rate. 81% are incorrect. And as you mentioned, there's a, the, the inaccuracy goes up with individuals of color, of different ethnic backgrounds, etc. So you've got a faulty database with a faulty methodology in terms of facial recognition. And you're using this as the federal government? It's appalling. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of people will look at this and say, well, hey, look, we don't want people in this country who shouldn't be here. And and that on its surface, yes, we all agree. People who, you know, try to get through loopholes or break the rules of immigration should not be allowed in here, right? But the catch-22 in this is, you know, people could be tossed out of this country uh, using this surveillance, uh, which is a breach of charter rights, whether or not people agree that they should have them. But again, uh, they may have been kicked out without even options to fight the the deportation or or having a a you know a trial or or without any due process or presumption of innocence. And the odds are that the matches that are made will be faulty. 81% of the time, they're false positives, where they're falsely identifying someone as being the person of interest, the person you're trying to keep out of the country. And it's wrong. So that's what drives me crazy. It's, there's no substance to this in terms of quality of the data, the accuracy, anything of that nature, quite apart from the violation of civil liberties and rights and all that, charter rights. So why would they use this without consulting with anyone, their own federal privacy commissioner, for God's sakes? It is so unacceptable. In the United States, a number of states have placed an outright ban on the use of facial recognition across the board because it is so flawed. And here, our federal government was using it in this way. It is just so outrageous. Yeah, I mean, they call this pilot project uh, Faces on the Move, but I mean, you know... If they were adhering to any laws or if they were trying to be cautious, then they would have put in the airport, this area is monitored by, uh, is, is, is being monitored by surveillance. But none of that was in place. And so who knows who has yeah. been through that area, me, you, or anybody else who's had their data now collected. Um, it, yeah. What is the result and what is the problem with that? I mean, it, if they had put up those surveillance signs, would they be in the clear? It's not that they would be in the clear, but at least you would have some notice that this was taking place. And people like the Federal Privacy Commissioner would have an opportunity to examine whether it conformed with our privacy laws. And he would most likely find against it, as he has found against Clearview and other applications. So it probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have, we'll probably never have seen the light of day. And they certainly didn't consult with him uh, before they started this, because they probably knew what the answer would be. That's why this is, on so many levels, completely unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, they, they have calculated it was surveilling fifteen to 20,000 know, travelers a day. So we're talking about 3 million travelers uh, going through be, you know, between July and December 2016. That's a lot of people who may have a had their privacy breach or violated. So then what is the, what is the um, repercussion or is there wow. anything that Canadians can do? Oh, that's the unfortunate thing. There's so little repercussion. I, I mean, the federal commissioner has already spoken out against this. Um, presumably, someone could take them to court. That would be a great idea. But, it, you know, then you'd have to know and you'd have to reveal your identity and all that. So, you know, why make more trouble for yourself, let alone the others? I don't know that anything will come of this. I would just like some assurance that this has ended this practice. Well, it looks like it has. I assume it has. But I mean, the CBSA, not to mention the federal government, these guys all have very, very expensive lawyers that we, the taxpayers, fund for them. Is no one, did no one or would no one know to wave the flag and say, guys, you can't do this. A, if you get anybody, it won't stand up in court, but you just can't do this. I mean, do they not get these warnings? The problem is the federal privacy commissioner would have done that had he known about it. I'm guessing you didn't know about it. I mean, the, you know, the federal government is very good at concealing things, it appears. And if you're not aware of these things, how do you go about challenging them?
Right. And how can you find out where else it's happening? But safe to say, then, if something like this is happening, then it probably and we know that the OPP, we know that the RCMP have also gotten into trouble for using this technology without, um, you know, any any, um, um, you know, clarity or, or, um, you know, being upfront about it. And so I I assume that this is happening much more than we know about. Well, it certainly was. Municipal uh, provincial uh, law enforcement agencies were doing it. Um, without the approval of the chief of police. And when the chief of police found out, as they did in Toronto, for example, several years ago, he shut it down. And that was the same in Edmonton and Alberta and other places. So I'm hoping that a lot of the use of Clearview AI has been shut down. Uh, Trust to verify. Well, we'll see where this leads. Um, And uh, certainly no one questioned the Uh. Prime Minister on this today. But I was a bit surprised when I saw this uh, expose by the, uh, the Globe and Mail. It is astounding. Yeah. Doctor, I appreciate your time on this because I know that these uh, are issues you're passionate about. But uh, thank you very much for your insight. It's my pleasure, as always. Thank you. That is uh, Dr. Anne Kavukian, who uh, was the former privacy commissioner for Ontario. And just based on her you know, reaction initially, you know exactly how she feels about this. But again, why did they think they were going to get away with it? Well, it comes a close second to our national anthem. And the woman who crafted that theme right there to Hockey Night in Canada, she passed. We learned over the weekend. Her name, Dolores Clayman, and uh, she died in Spain of dementia at the nice age of 94. Very full life. And, of course, one uh, where she created some pretty iconic songs of our youth. The other song you would know uh, would be something she wrote for Expo 67. Oh, God, I love that song as a kid. I thought that was the most romantic, lovely song ever. I loved singing it in school. Nonetheless, <laughs> that was her work. Um, and, you know, she worked in an ad company when she was asked to write the Hockey Night in Canada theme song. But, no, like she had no clue of its popularity until about 10 years in. And then in 2008, she was finally able to get credit for her creation right before it was sold off to CTV where they basically destroyed it. But uh, she's an icon in the Canadian Hockey Hall of Fame. She was put in uh, in 2010. She was inducted. So now what? Well, let's remember her. Alan Cross, host of the Ongoing History of New Music podcast. Good to have you, Alan. You know, I actually had a Hockey Night in Canada album. It was the old <laughs> powder blue with the hockey stick uh, in the black circle uh, mm. logo. And on that was the theme song that we heard back then. So this would be, oh, God, 1967? Mm. No, it was later than that. It was later than that when it came out uh, in, in, on the Hockey Night in Canada album. And uh, it had the, the, the final version of, uh, of Dolores Clayman's Hockey Night in Canada theme, which was rearranged for orchestra by uh, a guy by the name of Jerry Toth. Yeah, I'm not surprised you had the album, and it's probably still in its shrink wrap and worth about a billion dollars. But nonetheless, I mean, she was a pretty neat woman. I mean, she was in an era where women were there to be seen and not heard, but she uh, she was pretty good at what she did, and she didn't suffer fools, and she created some amazing, iconic moments in this country. And I, I get the sense just from, you know, when you read about her, 
She's a pretty modest woman. But, you know, when you look at, you know, the, the enormity of that song in this country and to what she, she didn't really make a lot of money off of that. No, not really. She, uh, I mean, this was back in the day when um, composers for this sort of thing weren't compensated as, as perhaps as well as they are today, simply because the business hadn't evolved to that point. So she, she wrote this. She was approached by uh, the CBC and was working for McLaren Advertising back in the day. And uh, she was a jingle writer. She had come from mm. England where she had worked for uh, ITV, the TV network, and had also written some music uh, for some West End uh, musical reviews. So she was very good at the, you know, short, punchy, poppy things. She had written something like 3,000 jingles, which is a lost art. She wrote 3,000 mm-hmm. jingles over the, over the course of her life. And anyway, so uh, she comes and says, uh, you know, we need a new theme for our Saturday night broadcast. What can you do? So she was sitting at a piano, apparently looking out over Lake Ontario and started thinking about knights and uh, gladiators and that sort of stuff. And that's, that's where the Hockey Night in Canada theme came up. And I think she was paid 800 bucks yeah. to, to do that. And then, you know, the song completely, uh, the theme song goes nuts. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's completely synonymous with, with any kind of hockey that this uh, country sees on, on, on television. It was with the CBC, like you said, until 2008. And now uh, TSN has it. But uh, yeah, yeah. So she eventually managed to, to negotiate a deal where I think she was getting 500 bucks a broadcast. Yeah. Because at one point yeah. she, she was making what, like three or $4,000 a year off the Hockey Night in Canada theme. And when you think about how much, for example, today the Bare Naked Ladies make yeah. off the, the opening theme of uh, the Big Bang Theory. I mean, it's just it's insane. It is insane, and um, I mean, for for anyone over the age of fifty, that that song is like their childhood, um, and, and so it's interesting because someone said today, well, maybe they could resample it and freshen it up a little bit. Is that the kind of song you could freshen up and sample? I, I'm I'm one for for I like I'm a purist, so I'm like, no, don't touch it, just leave it alone. I think but you got to be, be real careful about that one. I mean, uh, you know, are you? <laughs> it's it's like <laughs> a, uh, you know, would you try and think of a. Uh, you know, and pick any musical and think, you know what, I'm going to redo this to, you know, make it more 21st century. It has been done. Um, Neil Peart of Rush, for mm-hmm. example, did a, a jazz version of it uh, a number of years ago. There was another jazzy version of Young Dundas Square, about 900 saxophonists <laughs> got together <laughs> to play it. Um, but yeah, that would be. That would be really tough. I mean, what would you do to it? Would you give it a hip hop beat? Would you put some, uh, you know, electric guitars in it? I don't know. But I, I don't know that. either. The samp. I mean, it's just such a. It's just such an iconic and known for the, the one thing. Like I, I, you know, you hear it and you're right away. It's hockey. Of course, it's hockey. You don't even have to be told it's hockey. But it doesn't. Um, certainly, it does. Certainly, it doesn't. I don't think resonate with younger fans. And if the NHL wants to, you know, garner younger fans and that, maybe they have to freshen things up. But I, I mean, it would really pit the boomers against the. Uh, the, oh, the millennials you, you, and such. What, what <laughs> watching a, a, a hockey game on, on Canada in Canada without that theme being somewhere? No, 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 no. That's blasphemy. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing when you uh, look back at, at someone's career like this and just small little moments, and then you realize, holy, this person really did contribute a lot. Because even that Ontario song, I'm sure you grew up with it too. I mean, it was a big deal back in the day. It's like, the cheesiest of songs, but I mean, it was it was pretty regular. Uh, you know, it's an earworm that'll be in my head all, uh, all night. I grew up in Manitoba, and I know all about it. 
Yeah, that's true. I know. It doesn't matter what province you lived in. It was the song, you know. It was. But yeah, she yeah, was very her. talented. Yeah, I knew, you know, and she had, if you really want to get into Dolores Clayman, you know that you can go online and buy some of her albums? I, no, I'm not and kidding. There's, 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 she's got some theme albums and some production music albums and a, and a few other things. Um, you can pick them up for like uh, 8 or $10 if, if you really want to. Well, to your point, I mean, look, there's a lost art out there of the the jingle. There are very few that just uh, are like, you know, so synonymous with the product that you just, you know, but but those who can do them really, truly have a, a really hidden skill. Yeah, that, the jingles was, uh, was something that's, the first jingle on, on the radio was in 1926. Um, then by the time we get to the 40s and 50s, I mean, jingles are everywhere and people were, you know, paid a good amount of money to come up with jingle after jingle after jingle and like, and think of them, you know, by men and, you know, there's a jingle. Yeah. And it's, it's fabric it's land, fabric land. Like exactly. one word, yeah. one song. They're, they're <laughs> the cheapest commercial awesome. ever made. We, we don't call them, um, jingles anymore. We call them audio signatures. <laughs> there you go. Well, it's amazing that she created so many, and and it's really, I think, through her death that a lot of people will kind of be reminded of just uh, her, her contribution uh, to this country and, and to, in particular, to the hockey world. So if anyone knew anything about her, I'm like, Alan Cross will know something about her. I, I appreciate you joining I did, me. <laughs> yeah, I did run into her once at a, at a SOCAM thing, and she was a delightful woman. And that's always nice to hear, too. That's always nice to hear, because, you know, you know better than anyone that sometimes your biggest... Uh, Icon can be the biggest jerk, which makes them no longer so yeah. like anymore. Alan Cross, thank you very much. You're welcome. Host of the ongoing History of New Music. Of course he has her album. Of course he has that album. Of course he does. You, of course, can listen Monday through Friday live starting 6.30 through 10 o'clock. I'm Alex Pearson. Join us on Point on Global News Radio.